all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. I'm welcoming myself along with you back to our Summer in the Psalms series. You didn't know it, but I recorded both of those last two episodes actually within a few days of each other so that my family and I could disappear for several days into the mountains of Colorado. So in many ways, I feel like I'm re-entering the podcast world and especially our Summer in the Psalms series. And thankfully, it has been a sweet re-entry as I share with you on Patreon that I woke up thinking about all of you. And that makes me grateful that God put you on my heart and that this feels like a joy today to get back to the podcast. It's always fun when the stuff that we're doing and we're about is life-giving to us at the same time. Our time away was everything our family needed and more. Nathan and I, because we travel so much, have always sought solace by sort of vacationing at home. And honestly, any money we would have spent on vacations through the years, we've often just invested it in our home. But Lost Valley Ranch, however, is a place that will now always be very near and dear to our hearts. We are so very grateful for some family friends who helped make it possible for us to have the Lost Valley Ranch experience this summer. Yes, it is an investment, but I will tell you this. If you make the investment, it's worth every dime, and that is no hype. Honestly, it kind of broadsided us as far as how much we needed to unplug. It was like going back in time in a way, even just to maybe like the early 90s when cell phones weren't attached to us at all times. Social media definitely wasn't a thing, and you were just able to be in a whole different way. One afternoon during lunch, we watched the kids play with a Labrador retriever for no joke, at least 30 minutes, just throwing the ball repeatedly in a creek and watching the dog jump in the water for it and run back for more. And you know you have vacated your life when you let your phone die for multiple days, and it even takes you a minute to realize where you left it to die. So wonderful. As you may have seen, my daughter Ellie and I actually drove all the way to Colorado, a 20-hour drive, and you know what? I would do it again tomorrow in a heartbeat. It all started when I began weighing the cost to board our dogs here for a week while we were in Colorado, which, you know, in Franklin, Tennessee, I know you've heard me rant about this before, but the cost is completely ridiculous. <laughs> but I know now that the Holy Spirit put the idea into my heart to drive. I remembered that driving west could mean that we could see my parents on the way since they are in Oklahoma. And maybe I could ask my parents if they would actually keep our dogs for us, if we could drop them on the way through, but also get to spend some time with them as well, even if it was just for a little bit. And thankfully, they said yes, which we are forever grateful for as well. Thank you, mom and dad. Another thing that the Lord had put on my heart was really just to try to get away with Ellie for a little trip. So this was perfect. Ellie's 15. She is so soft and lovely, yet she has this fire inside of her that I admire as well. But I also see that she needs help tending to it, as we all do. But especially when you're 15, you know, you've got plenty of friends who will speak in, but you only have one mama. Ellie is a lot like my husband, Nathan, in that she's introverted and she loves her some space. But what the Lord has helped me realize 
as of late and even through this trip together is that she isn't going to ask me to come into that space with her. Asking is not easy for Ellie. So with the Lord's guidance, I've really realized that I need to move into that space with her more. I still need to also give her some space, but I need to move in on her space more too. So me taking the time with just her was huge, really for both of us. We spent hours talking and we spent hours not talking. I told her all kinds of stories about when I was her age. I introduced her to all my favorite music from the 80s and the 90s. We got to share a room at my parents' house, which we had never done before since all of us are usually there together as a family. I got to take her to the Philbrook Museum of Art, where I actually had my bridal portrait done 23 years ago. I also got to take her to my favorite spot in Tulsa at Utica Square called Queenie's, where you can get the best grilled cheese that you'll ever eat. And on our way out of Oklahoma, speaking of the best things you'll ever eat, we visited Pioneer Woman's The Mercantile in Pahuska and actually ended up spending about four hours in the little town there. It's completely worth all the fuss if you've ever wanted to go. The food is incredible. The mercantile is just gorgeous. And even the little shops around the mercantile are actually really fun to visit. Ellie got the waffles and I got a croissant and we both agreed it was worth all the hype. And I have to say, I ordered a side of fruit and it wasn't like cantaloupe and grapes and slimy melon. It was like the best blackberries, blueberries, and strawberries that I've eaten in a really long time. So there's that. From there, we made our way to Kansas. I'll never forget stepping outside of the car and feeling like we were a couple of cookies in a convection oven. (laughs) Ellie looked at the temperature on her iPhone, and it read 103, even at 5 p.m. in the evening. Kansas was just a touch point on our trip, and so we were excited to actually get up early and head towards cooler air and expectant to finally begin to see some mountain ranges in the distance. Colorado Springs would be our next stop, and I'd love to say that Ellie's first brush with Colorado was a pleasant memory, but instead it was one that I was glad I was actually there for and could experience with her. We had to do the part of town where we were staying, and they were having an art festival that day, so we pulled in. It was kind of a quaint area, but kind of has that Colorado Springs edge to it. It looked like a place where we could get some lunch and a good cup of coffee. It was pretty interesting because she and I had literally just been talking about PT. PTSD in the car for whatever reason. We talked about what it is, that it's a real thing, that a lot of veterans from the war experience it after they come home. Well, happy to find a parking space in this busy little area, I pulled in and we got out to pay the parking meter when suddenly we both hear a commotion coming towards us in the form of very loud profanity. We look down, and it's a man probably in his mid-60s with a very large backpack on his back, carrying a cup of coffee down the sidewalk and literally screaming at everyone. He was even screaming at people who weren't there. He was screaming so loud, in fact, that he was making himself cough up his coffee on the sidewalk. Because I've traveled the world and I've seen a thing or two, I knew and sensed that he was most likely completely harmless in a sense that he was just going to make his way down the lane and keep screaming all the way down the street, and he wasn't going to harm us. 
But Ellie, she was a bit distressed. And so she quickly got back in the car. And as he was kind of slowly making his way towards us, I got in the car with her. I wanted her to feel safe. So I just kind of sat there for a second. I turned the car on and we kind of waited it out. Well, he made his way to the corner of the car and he just let Ellie and I have it for about three whole minutes, which feels like an eternity when you have one of your kids with you. Ellie kept wanting me to just leave, but I was so stubborn about losing my great parking spot. So I just started praying for him out loud. And it was so interesting, even as I prayed, he started saying stuff about Jesus. All the while, of course, threading the F word through about every other word of it. He yelled at me about not being a good blankety-blank parent and that I needed to teach my blankety-blank children about the government and about Jesus. And Ellie's cheeks grew redder and hotter with every word. And I kept praying for Jesus just to come wrap his mind in peace so that he could just rest that he could go on his way. And I reached for Ellie's hand, and I told her that I was so glad that I could be there with her in this moment of seeing a bit of the world and this clearly broken man who was somebody's little boy at one time. And what a reminder it is of how much we all truly do need Jesus. He had that part right, for sure. And as he made his way down the street, we got out, we paid the parking meter and found Chipotle, which was a familiar spot in an unfamiliar situation, and we just caught our breath. And after that, we drove over to the Garden of the Gods, and we just did a little hike to take some pictures, and it was good to just be reminded that God is huge, and we are small, and just being reminded of His majesty quieted us both and helped us remember that He is with us. And we needed it. We needed to remember that as we made our way to Denver the next day too, as it wasn't quite the respite that we had imagined, as I failed to realize that it was the Comic-Con convention that day in downtown Denver. Needless to say, we saw some very interesting characters, like literally characters from comic books and all kinds of things as we shopped around. Not to mention that every other city block has some sort of old restaurant or gas station that is now also selling marijuana. (laughs) Ellie's eyes were like saucers as she pointed to a gas station that's now called Gas and Grass. That is no joke. We were reunited that next day with Nathan and the other two kids as we picked them up at the Denver airport and headed to a small mountain town for the night. They were a sight for sore eyes for sure as we were missing our people by that point. And I think overall, Ellie just needed to know that dad was near. We finally made our way to Lost Valley that next morning as a family, and I was secretly so excited, and I highly anticipated the moment that they said we'd lose cell service on our phones. And we did, and it was glorious. We also all laughed hysterically through the nine miles of washboard mountain road that leads you into the ranch. And when I say washboard, I mean that they literally get a truck or something up there and make it look and feel like a washboard so that you won't slide off of the mountain. I don't know, maybe it readies you somehow for all the horseback riding you're going to get ready to do. (laughs) But I will say this, we drove into Lost Valley in a completely different head and heart space than when we drove out the next Sunday. Nothing could have possibly prepared us for what we were about to experience. We were the first to arrive, which I loved, and we got to get in our cabin and get plenty of time to unpack and settle in. And once everything was put away, we all just kind of sat there and looked at each other. It wasn't anywhere near time for dinner. There was no cell service, no TV, just space 
and time. What we did find was the porch swing, and soon after we found the porch swing, the ukuleles appeared, which is a mom's dream. We sat and we sang as we watched our friends begin to arrive. Our little cabin was situated where we could see all the comings and goings on at the ranch, which we absolutely loved. So we could clearly see when even our buddy Chris Tomlin arrived with his wife, Lauren, and their girls. And we decided to make his arrival especially grand as we serenaded him loudly from our porch swing, singing, "'You're a good, good father.'" And the mountains carried our little tune all the way over to his cabin and embarrassed him pretty good. I could see his ears turning red. (laughs) After that, we made our way down to the corral where we would be fitted for our saddles and matched with our horses. The head wrangler named Logan, who we would come to find out is just as great with people as he is with horses. He came out to greet us as we all nervously stood there feeling a little bit like fish out of water. I so wanted to ask him later on how he goes about the process of pairing people with their creature companion or spirit animal, if you will, because it seemed like an art form. He sure fooled us if it's not, but I got placed with Amigo and we were fast friends. He was the most agreeable, gentle soul. He would close his eyes when I would talk to him every morning, which I absolutely loved. Sometimes we'd be riding along and I'd talk to him and he'd turn his head towards me as if he was letting me know he was listening. He was a good friend. And he got placed with Flame, who was spunky and lively, just like her. Ellie got put with Paintball, who is brown but splattered with white spots, and it totally looks like he got shot with white paintballs. Noah was with Ferris, and there were a lot of jokes flying around about Noah and Ferris and their day off as in Ferris Bueller, for all you youngins. And Nathan, Nathan got paired with a horse named Dream Thief. Dream Thief is a jet black horse who has a half a mind to live up to his name most days. The head wrangler Logan told us later on in the week that he loves putting beginner riders with Dream Thief just to see what happens. We also learned that Dream Thief doesn't have a friend in the entire corral. He spends most of his day with his ears straight back, which means someone is either getting ready to get kicked or bit. I'll tell you a little bit more about Dream Thief later. But the first morning, we chose to do a clinic with all of our friends that we were out there with, with Logan, the head wrangler. It was about a two-hour class about just getting to know horses and our relationship with them. Before we learned how to walk around barrels and how to trot them, we learned that from the time that horses are tiny, there's instinctively a predator-prey relationship going on. We're the predator and they're the prey. I had no idea. About midweek, I realized that it's the perfect opportunity when you're riding a horse to practice humble authority, which I talk about a lot. You have to approach horses with humility, knowing that they could literally, obviously, crush you at any moment, but they are majestic creatures. But you also need to approach them with authority or they will sense your anxiety and fear. So it's this crazy balance of somehow not being afraid to climb on the back of this enormous, majestic creature and to basically be his boss for the day. (laughs) One big no-no that you're not supposed to do is to let your horses eat on the trail. If you let them get away with it once, they'll pretty much be lazy and snack the whole trip. So from the moment that they even try to put their head down, you have to pull the reins back. And remember I talked about sheep when they get their head down, that they have a lot of power that way. 
it's the same with horses. Once they get their head down, it's very difficult to pull it back up. And another thing you have to boss them around about is correcting them if they've got their ears back, like I told you Dream Thief did. Logan kept giving Nathan permission to dig in with a kick or a whip to the side if his ears went back at all. Nathan and Dream Thief ended up being the perfect match because Nathan is so even keeled and not hot-headed and because he's patient and persistent, by Thursday, Dream Thief went from having his ears back, I promise you, about 90% of the ride to only about 10% of the ride. Nathan was quietly persistent until we all began to notice the change. On Saturday morning after our last ride, I was able to catch on camera Nathan saying goodbye to Dream Thief. I happened to see Nathan with his hand up on Dream Thief's mane, and he was leaned in, and he was talking to him. And I had the most beautiful progression of pictures that end in Dream Thief completely nuzzling his nose down into Nathan's side affectionately. It was the real thing. Nathan and I both stood there quiet as tears welled up in our eyes. It was such a reminder that nothing good comes easy. And sometimes it's the process, isn't it, that brings us so much fulfillment in the end. It's the journey of watching the transformation happen that brings the joy and not just the transformation itself. It's humble authority finally paying off. I know there were moments that Nathan wished that he had been given a horse like Amigo, who so agreeably responded to my every move, making me look like I had ridden horses my whole life. But I love that Nathan didn't give up on him. I love that he took the whole thing on and that he was able to see the change happen and the affection grew to something really memorable in Nathan's life. It was really sweet. And I'm not going to go into detail because he's sitting right here, but it also paralleled some pretty amazing fear conquering in Nathan's own life right now in a pretty cool God way that only God could orchestrate. It was really beautiful to watch. The great thing about Lost Valley Ranch is that you can take advantage of all they have to offer, or you can literally just go lay by the pool if you want. We chose to take advantage of every ride possible. In fact, some days we rode four to five hours a day, always taking advantage of the morning ride and the afternoon ride. A few mornings we did what's called a breakfast ride. The one at the end of the week is about four and a half hours long, maybe five hours. It includes riding up to Table Rock where a cowboy has cooked you pancakes and eggs and bacon on an open fire and a cast iron skillet with little thermoses of coffee and hot cocoa waiting for you. It's like some sort of dream. You just can't even believe it's real. And then the fact that it's five hours long tells you that this is a day like you've never really experienced. And when you drink coffee, obviously, and you ride that long, you just have to know that the Wranglers eventually will say, okay, this is the gentleman's side and this is the lady's side. (laughs) I was happy to have Nathan stand guard just in case as I went to the ladies' room overlooking the canyon. That morning was the same morning we journeyed on up to an incredibly steep rock where we could look down between the canyons and see a beautiful lazy river running through it. You almost had to adjust your eyes that you were not at some sort of theme park and this was just a facade. We quickly realized it was all too real though when out of nowhere, four gigantic military planes were doing a practice drill and they flew pretty much almost eye level with us because we were so high through that canyon and each tipped their wing at us. We sounded like a bunch of 10-year-old kids on top of that mountain screaming and jumping up and down. Our pastor Darren and his wife Brandy were with us and he got it on video. Otherwise, I don't know if anyone would ever even have believed us. 
As we walked over to untie our horses and saddle up, we were just all smiling and looking at each other like, is this a dream? But all at the same time, there was something so familiar and right about the whole thing that it was really hard to put my finger on it. My dad grew up in Oklahoma raising piglets and riding horses. In fact, I love telling the kids that Papa used to ride a horse to and from school pretty much every day. He told us that on days that he had basketball practice or something after school that he would just go outside and untie his horse and give him a good slap on the butt and he would go home on his own. (laughs) I don't know if there's anything that gets passed down in families as far as just people having a natural love or way with horses, but I like to think that there was always some kind of spark in me as a kid. And now I'm here to tell you that that spark has turned into a flame for sure. I don't know, maybe it explains why I cry during the Kentucky Derby. This is just a little trivia about me. I know it's ridiculous. I don't know if you guys follow the Kentucky Derby or the Belmont Stakes or anything like that. We don't necessarily follow horse racing or even know anything about it, but we watch it because it's exhilarating. First of all, there's about as much lead up to it as a royal wedding. But all in all, it's a mile and a half race, only about two and a half minutes, three minutes long, depending on the horse who wins it. It's open to three-year-old thoroughbred horses. And we happened to catch the Kentucky Derby back in May as we watched the horses run through the mud and the pouring rain to see Justify, the beautiful thoroughbred, win the Kentucky Derby. And just a few weeks later, he'd win the Preakness Stakes and then on to become a Triple Crown winner when he won the Belmont Stakes in June. The Triple Crown of horse racing is considered one of the most difficult accomplishments in horse racing and possibly, they say, in all of sports championships. All in all, Justify is only the 13th horse to win the Triple Crown since 1919 and only the second horse to win it with an undefeated record. There's something about when I watch those horses run something wells up in me like what happens to me at the symphony. I'm not really sure how to describe it, but it just comes from a deep place in me that testifies there is a God and He is majestic. I mean, tears come from like down in my gut somewhere, surprising me every time. And I feel like such a dork, but I love it because it makes me feel alive and it makes me feel connected to the majesty of God somehow. You might've seen the movie Secretariat. I always want to watch it this time of year after watching the horses race. Secretariat was the thoroughbred who won the Triple Crown in 1973 and Justify is in his lineage actually. But in the opening scene of Secretariat, the movie, I'll never forget hearing the words of Job 39 being spoken by the actress who plays Secretariat's owner. In fact, the movie is bookended with her reading from Job as God is answering Job back. Do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? Do you make it leap like a locust, striking terrace with its proud snorting? It paws fiercely rejoicing in its strength and charges into the fray. It laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. It does not shy away from the sword. The quiver rattles against its side along with the flashing spear and lance. In frenzied excitement, it eats up the ground. It cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. I might not be able to fully articulate it, but I do know that we are right to stay connected to the majesty of God in our mundane, even if it takes an investment, a going out of our way to pull back the stuff that so easily gets in the way and remember God's order 
and His incredible creation. We might not be able to escape to the Colorado mountains once a month, but what can we do to keep our eyes pointed to His majesty, to posture ourselves in everything we've got to get done today, even with the beauty that a majestic God is in it with us? These are the questions I'm asking myself since re-entry into the real world again. I keep holding on to this moment that we had one morning. This is the last story I'll tell you about riding, but our morning ride was coming to an end. There were about six of us on the ride that morning, and our Wrangler turned around to us and said, are you guys up for one last lope this morning? Loping is between a trot and a gallop, but trust me, for a beginner, when you're loping, you feel like you're galloping. (laughs) The lope is actually easier and more comfortable than the trot. The trick to loping goes against every instinct in your body. You have to relax. In fact, one of the Wranglers told us if we'd intentionally just put a smile on our face, that it would help our whole body relax. With a lope, you want to sit your butt down in the seat and just relax and let your hips move with the rhythm of the horse. Our instinct, of course, is to hold onto the horn of the saddle for dear life and tense up. But I learned that letting go completely is actually when you begin to feel the most secure. Isn't that beautiful? So many life lessons. I found that the more I let go and breathe and smile, the more I found a rhythm that carried me. So when our Wrangler turned around that morning and asked if we were up for one more lope, we were excited slash you just sort of pray a prayer that says, Lord, as I let go, keep me on this horse. (laughs) We couldn't see what was around the corner. And with a cheeky grin, the Wrangler says, ready? And we're like, yeah, not knowing that just around the bend was a creek that we were getting ready to lope our horses through. The horses knew it was coming. You could tell. And all I can say that it is now in my top five of all time. It was the most beautifully wild and free thing that's happened to me in a very long time. Pure majesty. And when it was over and my horse slowed to a walk at the end of the creek, that's when the Holy Spirit started flooding my heart and my mind in remembrance over some things that He had spoken over me a few years ago. It was another one of those themes threaded through, and it actually had to do with horses. So it was sweet that this moment in the creek had completed in fullness some things that only partially made sense to me a few years ago. All of a sudden, I wasn't just enraptured by this horse and getting to lope through the creek. Suddenly, I felt face-to-face with my Creator. And I realized in that moment, honestly, how boggy my mind had been. And it's kind of crazy to me because I would say that I live a pretty intentional life, but I just think it's very telling of how we live our lives, just not seeing clearly most of the time, not seeing our true reality, our true potential, our true identity and purpose and calling. It's a challenge for us to get in that mindset day to day and stay in it. We feel this in big and small ways every day. We just might not know how to articulate it. Instead of freedom reigning over fear, our fears tend to swallow up our freedom. Instead of practicing humble authority, we resort to control where love simply can't live. Instead of remembering that God has given us dominion over the works of our hands and has placed all things under our feet, we let that sort of faraway thinking dry up somewhere while we busy ourselves in some sort of pace that can somehow drown out our true longings 
and the fact that they remain untapped into a lot of the time. Instead of letting go of the horn and trusting God's rhythms, we grip onto things for dear life as we hunker down through life's ups and downs, feeling a bit jarred on the journey. I do know this, that long gone are the days that we'd send our kids to school on a horse, and when it comes back without them, we just assume they had band practice. (laughs) Needless to say, we're living in interesting times, and as I've said before, living in a mindset of God's order and His majesty is falling on interesting times in a way that's jarring for all of us. It just feels like the climate we're living in, that fear comes into play more than ever, And even though we don't want to do this, we tend to trust man over God. We want something we can touch and feel rather than mystery. I don't want to allow the times to dictate or change my mindset or my belief system, yet I'm so guilty of letting it fade from my memory, who God is and the life He truly gives and the life that's truly available to me because of His life in me. My sweet friend, Rebecca Lyons, just sent me this morning the podcast of one of our churches in New York City. It's Church of the City, New York, and the pastor there is John Tyson, who is best friends with our pastor here in Franklin. And John is doing a series right now called Teach Us to Pray, and this week's title of the message is called Attention Leads to Adoration. It's really good, and it's worth to listen as he goes into how our brains work and how social media is taking such a huge toll on our thinking and even on our belief system and on our lives, honestly, as we're constantly taking our eyes off of what they should be on. It couldn't have come at a better moment this morning as I was preparing this podcast as I feel like God affirmed what I was already sensing that our faithfulness to keep looking to the Word of God together will cause us to then magnify the Lord together. Literally, it's like we have a giant magnifying glass together today. It's beautiful that we can keep looking at Him together, and it makes the things of earth truly grow strangely dim, and it opens us back up into the people that He made us to be. So let's do that together today. Today's psalm is Psalm 8. It's short, but so incredibly sweet and so poignant for us today. Let's magnify the Lord together as it's spoken over us. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth." This is such a beautiful psalm, especially coming out of our last episode in Psalm 90, where we humbly postured ourselves to remember that our days are numbered, but that our eternal home and our temporary home could also begin to bleed together beautifully as we bring God's kingdom to earth now by the way we live and the way we spend 
these vapors that we have, these days that we have. Psalm 8 is what's called a covenantal psalm. It's a hymn of praise. It's covenantal because it's bookended by proclaiming the name Lord, which is Yahweh. Yahweh was the name that God specifically gave His people to call Him. In Exodus 3.15, God said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, all caps, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered through all generations. Lord is in all caps, like I said, and it can be thought of like a proper name, like John or Paul. So a covenant psalm or song means that it's for people who call God their Lord, who call Him Yahweh, and in this case, sing that His name is majestic in all the earth. If you were like me and you were raised in the church and you were a child of the 80s, all I can think of is Sandy Patty singing Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name? I'm not going to sing it. It's not going to do it justice. But you got to love how scripture is set to song, helps you remember it for the rest of your life. In the opening few lines, the psalmist starts talking about how God has set his glory above the heavens. But then in the very next phrase, he calls us to remember that even in a little baby's mouth, He's put strength. I've talked about this before. That word strength there in my ESV says that it means strength attributed to God in song or praise that can actually silence and still the enemy. To me, it's as if the psalmist opens up this psalm by saying, God, you pretty much thought of everything. Your glory in the heavens all the way down to infants jabbering about in praise. The next few verses, we've probably all read a time or two, and I've even written a song about them. Verses three through eight, I'll read it from the message translation here. It says, I look up at your macro skies, dark and enormous, your handmade sky jewelry, moon and stars mounted in their settings. Then I look at my micro self and wonder, why do you bother with us? Why take a second look our way? Yet we've so narrowly missed being gods, bright with Eden's dawn light. You put us in charge of your handcrafted world, repeated to us your Genesis charge. I remember reading this passage years ago, and as I said, I wrote a song called Who Am I? And it was about my family, my family of origin, actually, and in particular, my dad. And it was a time in our lives when we needed to be reminded that even though things hadn't worked out the way we always thought that they would, we had grown grateful as a family to somehow still see that even in the pain and through the process that we were going through, that God was still so mindful of us. The words of that song said, Over time you've healed so much in me, and I'm living proof that although my darkest hour had come, your light could still shine through. And though at times it's just enough to cast a shadow on the wall, I'm grateful that you shine your light on me at all. Who am I that you would love me so gently? Who am I that you would recognize my name? Lord, who am I that you would speak to me so softly? A conversation with the love most high. Who am I? If you study those verses, it says that he's a remembering God, that he's even a visiting God. I love that, that he takes interest in us, and that he even seeks us out. 
Our family went through a very trying season during my high school years, and this song was sort of a mile marker to sort of stand and magnify the Lord together, to marvel and say, who are we, God, as we look at you and marvel at your majesty? Who are we that you would show us such kindness, that you'd show yourself to us a loving God who restores, who heals, who truly sees? I never read the message version of this psalm and verses five through eight kind of stopped me in my tracks a little bit when it said, you put us in charge of your handcrafted world, repeated to us your Genesis charge. I read that and I was like, the Genesis charge. Yet all at the same time, something in my spirit just agreed and was like, yeah, the Genesis charge. This passage in Psalm 8 echoes back to when God said in Genesis 1, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps the earth. And listen to the detail here. It's so amazing. Verse 28 says, And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And he goes on to even more detail about plants and trees and seeds and how we were given dominion over all of it. As I was digging in my ESV study Bible some more on this passage, I love that it was reminding me that God's grandness doesn't necessarily mean He is this faraway God, which no doubt He's enormous, but it can also mean that actually His majesty is displayed by His eye for detail no matter how small it is. I love that. So his character is being revealed here to us in the way that he's not only mindful of us, but that he's also given us dominion and charge over what he created. It's so specific. He's, He's bestowed dignity upon us. I don't think we truly grasp that most days. He created us and then he bestowed dignity, which actually means majesty and nobility. It's bestowing esteem and worth It's really beautiful to remember that. Regardless of what we have done with this charge, regardless of the fact that sin has tainted the perfection of Eden and what he first ordered, I believe we are right to stop and note that God saw all that he created and he said that it was good. It was created with order and perfection. And even here in Psalm 8, it says it was actually set there with his fingers. And that word fingers there means fingers. (laughs) He established it with his fingers, the whole universe. And then he created man in his image and he bestowed it to us, all that he had perfectly made. Can we just pause and say, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? The lope through the creek that morning pried my heart open like an oyster. And here I sit, wanting to be a good steward of getting to hear what I felt like that age-old Genesis charge being whispered over me once more. Something deep in me called to deep to remind me, you were made for this. And it's what you were made for too. It's deep down what the screaming profanity guy in Colorado Springs was made for too. Yes, we might be living in the fallout of the fall, but the power of us echoing back these Psalms is that since the fall, Jesus happened and His Spirit has filled us. We need His Word every day to come and wipe clean the window we peer through so that we can rightly see 
how things truly are. It reminds me of when I periodically look down at Annie's eyeglasses, our youngest. She's 11, and she's our enthusiast. Everything about life for Annie is go big or go home. She squeezes every drop from her day until she can't keep her eyes open anymore. But sometimes we look down and we see how filthy her glasses are, and we literally say to her every time, how can you even walk around like that? We'll clean them for her, and she's like, whoa. And we're like, yeah. (laughs) This is the Word of God for us every day. It's like taking window cleaner to our view, and even though we're still only peering through a window, at least for now, It at least washes our view so that we can clearly see. This is how I felt when I was taking Hebrews 2 as I was studying Psalm 8. The writer of Hebrews actually quotes Psalm 8, and it helped clear my view this morning. I love the title that's across the top of the chapter in Hebrews 2. It says, warning to pay attention. I love that, especially that we just talked about. Attention leads to adoration. This is the NIV translation. It says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. God also testified it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. It is not to angels that He has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. Well, let me just pause and say that I wrestled with this for a while. I think it's always very interesting when there's parts of Scripture that are repeated. And here, I think the writer of Hebrews is bringing this back up because I think he's wanting to say something like, y'all don't miss this. The salvation that I'm telling you about, don't miss this. He's saying, yes, there's the Mosaic law, and that was real, the one that the angels delivered. And yes, every sin made against it, there was a just punishment. So he's like, all the more reason to not miss this great salvation. He's like, you have to understand here what Jesus has done. He says, this whole world that I keep talking about, it wasn't subject to the angels. It wasn't given to them. It was given to you. And then he's like, remember that someone once said, and he quotes Psalm 8, what is mankind that you are mindful of him, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. I think he reminds us of all of that to prove a point about the key player in this great salvation. He says in verse 8, in putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. I love this. He's saying, yeah, I know that we don't see right now the full picture, but we do see Jesus. And what did he do? He became like us. 
He even uses the same verbiage. I love it. He says, We do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, but now crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering for us, that he might taste death for us. Verse 10 says, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. And verse 14, He too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. I love that this is such a detailed account of God's faithfulness and mercy and love towards us and such a beautiful example of how He is mindful of us, that He would send a great high priest, the pioneer of our salvation, not one who's lofty and distant, but one who lowered Himself to become one of us, even a little lower than the angels, so that He would know what it was like to be us. That's mindful majesty. I pray that Psalm 8 has helped you wipe the window clean today. Maybe you can't at the present see the whole picture. You might not see all that's coming to you or is true of you in this moment, but I hope you can see Jesus today. I hope you can see the intentional love of God, a love that sure knew what we needed right when we needed it. A majestic love That's not a far away love, but a love that was so deep down in the details that it put on skin and even put on suffering, even the most unfathomable kind, all to reverse the curse, to reinstate the charge over us today. You and I maybe will only have a handful of moments on this earth where our hearts get pried open like an oyster and eternity seeps in a little. To see who we really are as we get this glimpse of Jesus and how He vouched for us for what once was. And we get to hear again what sounds like faint whispers from Eden, even if just for a moment, unmasking what once was, even abilities we didn't even know we had. And the song comes back to our hearts like it hasn't in a while, and that name begins to form in our mouths, the one we get to call Him because we're His people and He's our God. And we sing and say together again today, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. I'll talk to you soon.